This is Marcia Stonehill with Melt the Ice. Today on Operation Flow, I have with me Vivine, Dr. Vivine Pierce McDaniel and Mr. Michael Harris. Dr. McDaniel is a professor of nursing at Aspen University, a diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassador and consultant for James Madison University, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant for American Sentinel University. She serves on the Virginia Nurses Foundation Board of Trustees as the Ambassador of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and is the Chairwoman of the Virginia Nurses Association Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. She is also a member of the American Association of Colleges of Nursing Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Group and is Vice President of the Central Virginia Chapter of the National Black Nurses Association. I would like to introduce you also to Mr. Michael Harris. He is the third child of civil rights icon Reverend Dr. Curtis Harris and Dr. Ruth Harris. Mr. Harris retired from Verizon Communications in 2003 after 28 years of service. He also retired as a local officer of the Communication Workers of America in Washington, D.C. in 2011 after 15 years. Then, in 2018, he retired as director from Signal Financial Federal Credit Union in Kensington, Maryland after 28 years of service. You would think his work was over, but then he relocated back to Hopewell, Virginia, and is currently serving as the chairman of the board of the Hopewell Ward Communication Network and as chairman of the board of the Hopewell Community on Change. He also serves on the board of directors of the Martin Luther King Jr. Foundation of Hopewell, which was founded by his father, and on the board of directors of the City of Refuge. Dr. McDaniel, Mr. Harris, thank you so much for being with us today. I look forward to our listeners being able to hear what you have to share. Well, thank you for having us, Masha. And I thank you also have for having me, Martha. And uh, you can call me Michael. And please call me Vivine. Thank you, Vivine and Michael. Um, Michael, uh, you have quite the uh, list of things that you have done and continue to do, and it doesn't really sound like you've retired. <laughs> And being being in Hopewell, it uh, it is not retirement. And uh, the Harris name in Hopewell, is, it rings out. And where I'm living is where I grew up. And that house was Dr. Harris's house until he until he passed away. And uh, so it's it's a house where individuals group. I even have people that come by here looking for Dr. Harris that don't realize that he's passed away. And it's been almost four years now. So, um, it's, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a historical place in, the, in town. And it's on a street that's named after him. Tell, tell us more about the street that's named after uh, Cousin Curtis. Uh, also, and your mom. Well, what was once Terminal Street, which is a street off of Route 10, 
and Route 10 go all the way through Hopewell. Um, it's the, the street that uh, he built his house on, Terminal Street. His house number was 209, 209 Terminal Street. And it was a few years ago that um, uh, city councilman decided that they were going to dedicate the street to his honor after he had passed away. And uh, the street that runs adjacent to Terminal Street, which was called Booker Street, uh, was renamed in honor of my mother. And its name was Harris Way, and it intersects at at Reverend C.W. Harris Street. It was an honor that uh, uh, was celebrated here in town. Uh, by the entire city, by the entire state, as a matter of fact, uh, and to me, it was it was historical. And the church that he passed is right across the street. Wow! And as a child, I used to go um, to stay with them, and they also had a snack bar that was adjacent to the house. Um, uh, that uh, Michael grew up in and uh, there are so many funny stories <laughs> that come from um, from having that snack bar next door and one of the stories that he shared with me that uh, I had the, the, the pleasure of recording actually I have a recording of him telling the story we were talking about when uh, Martin Luther King came to visit him. Um, I think they were, what were they working on, Michael? They were, it was something that they were um, working on. Uh, My father had a court, a court appearance, and it was something that uh, come from a decision, and it was called a boat right decision that he was involved with. And Dr. King came into town to accompany him the court, and this was in 1962. And uh, when he came, when he got here, uh, of course, they had a little meeting at the church. And uh, then he came across the street because the Harris snack bar was actually uh, uh, almost new, because you know, that came up in uh, sometime in 62. And uh, he came over, and uh, uh, as it was told, because I was not there, uh, Dr. King wanted something to drink, and when he came in, everybody was so mesmerized by his presence that he didn't get anything to drink. <laughs> and that was <laughs> that was something that was sort of like uh, a, a, a thought of laughter later on. He finally did get him a, a Pepsi Cola, and I think they went on to court. <laughs> but he said, um, Aunt Ruth, um, that that when he asked about the drink of water, she was so busy looking at him and mesmerized that he, he never got his drink of water. And he just tells the story. It's so it's it's hilarious the way that he tells the right. story. <laughs> There's so many stories from from that family. And, and by the way, we didn't get to see Dr. King that day because my mother. I had um, two brothers and a sister at that time. And we were all in school, and of course, we had to go to school. So we missed Dr. King in that visit. Mm -hmm. By the time we got home, he was gone. 
uh, my mother regretted that she didn't let us stay home. And she's made mention of that many times when, it, when the story came up. Mm-hmm. So, but um, it was something that, that was her routine. Hey, she was the individual. She was the strong arm in the family. So we got on out of there and went on to school. Well, one thing that I wanted to ask you, um, I was thumbing through a book that I got um, from the late, great John Congressman John Lewis. And I came to a page that had a picture of, of, of Curtis, of your father, in the, in the book. And the caption was there, uh, you know, he, he mentioned your dad's name. And we had seen this picture because um, later years, um, now I'm, I, I probably won't say this right, so Michael, you will have to help me. The building that has all of his um, um, his plaques and all of that, is that where the snack bar was? Yes. That building. Okay, so I was in that building, and um, he was 80-plus years old and still getting phone calls from um, from people to, to, that needed help from him. But what I he would share these pictures with me. He, he gave me um, numerous photographs of, of civil rights, uh, of pictures of, of different civil rights icons. But one of them was the one, the picture with him and John Lewis, where he was praying, and I believe Martin Luther King was, was um, kneeling, and um, John Lewis was there as well. And... Um, I was just so shocked to see that in the the book that I was reading because I I had seen the picture before, like I said, with him, but I I just had no idea that it was in um, John Lewis's book. That picture is what it was 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 taken during the Selma to Montgomery march. Mm, wow! The Selma to Montgomery march. Uh, my father and John Lewis were two frontline marshals. Any pictures that you saw of that particular march, you would see my father on the left with an armband on and John Lewis on the right with an armband on. They marched the entire march. Mm-hmm. And they were actually marshals. Okay, and they were actually individuals that were supposed to be according to some people, uh, human shields for Dr. King. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that picture that you saw is on my wall right here now mm-hmm. in, uh, at 209. And, uh, it's a picture that is, is, is in all, in a lot of the history books. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that, well, he was offering a prayer at a crossroads, right? Mm-hmm. In regards to the march, and I, I don't know what part of the march it was, but it was near the front end of the march. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, they didn't take a lot of pictures, as many pictures on the back end of the march as they did in the front end of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marsha, they also have a library um, named after him in his honor in a um, school in Hopewell. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the, 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 
the library at Carter G. Woodson Middle School was dedicated to Dr. Harris because of his endeavors in um, um, the financing of the school system in Hopewell. Uh, as a council person, he, 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 he brought about change in regards to how money was spent on schools. He, he tore down two schools. One was the Arlington School, which was a black elementary school, and the other one was a white elementary school called Patrick Copeland. He tore, had both of them torn down. And we had both of them torn down. The whites and the blacks in the city was upset because these schools were old and they were considered to be icons, right? They, they, hey, this is historical. You can tore down something that's historical, right? Mm-hmm. Where the schools were falling apart, okay? Right now, both of them are still torn down. And what they did as a result of their endeavors in Richmond on Capitol Hill, in conjunction with everybody in the city, they built two brand new elementary schools and they renovated Carter T. Woodson just as if it was a new school. And it's beautiful. I've seen and, I've been in here. And uh, as a matter of fact, my dad's body laid in state at, at that library for a week. Mm-hmm. At Cottage Woodson. Now, Cottage Woodson was the African American high school when I was going to school. Mm-hmm. Once the integration came about in '63, it took them five years before they merged all of the schools and made Cottage Woodson a middle school. Mm-hmm. And, it need, and, and, and then, as a result, you know, they they renovated it, and now it is a model middle school mm-hmm. which services the entire city <laughs> beautiful when they at that time that you're talking about when they tore down the the two the the white school the white elementary school and the black elementary school and they built a new school or two new schools were these integrated schools or was this was there still segregation Segregation ended in the school system in 1963. And it ended with when I was in the eighth grade. Okay. And I never went to college. was in school, high school myself, because in 1963, the schools integrated. I went to Hopewell High School as, a, as an eighth grader. And I finished in 1968. And by that time, they had built a brand new high school in 1968. I was the first graduating class in 1968 from the new Hopewell High School. It's interesting to me to realize how uh, throughout the state of Virginia and of course across the nation, how uh, integration happened at different years, you know, here in King George County, it didn't happen until 1968, <clears throat> or not fully, you know. Um, now, I'm wondering, Michael, too, I'm, I'm, if you care to share, did you realize what your father was doing, the magnitude of his work, the, the risk he was putting himself at, you know, 
were you aware of what was of the magnitude of what he was doing? Not at first. I was really not really even understanding of why I had to go to the white school. In 1963, September, 18 African Americans went through the high school. 18. Okay, and I was one of the 18. And I was upset because all of my friends went to Carter G. Woodson, almost all of them, except the other 17 that went with me up to the high school. And I didn't like my father much about that. As a matter of fact, uh, I can't speak for my brothers, but I don't think they liked it much either. See, because they were already in high school. I had not started high school. I had two brothers. One is three years older than me. One was four years older than me. And they were already in school. And I know that there was some objection to it. But in my household, uh, we weren't allowed to voice no objections. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in regards to what it was, the, the, his word was final, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the end of that. That was in 1963. So what we understood was that, hey, we was just to be uh, seen and not heard. <laughs> that That's the way that was. Later, we've developed an understanding. I'll tell you when. When my father became involved with city councils and elections, city council elections, and started dealing with uh, Dr. King, Dr. King's organization, which he started to deal with in 1961, is when he actually was on Dr. King's uh, executive board, right? He was the fourth vice president on Dr. King's executive board in 1961. Well, we didn't really know who Martin Luther King was then, and much less cared, okay? So, it was not until the turbulence started and the educating started because what we were not allowed to do was to strike back at the individuals that struck out at us. We were told to ignore, to walk away, okay, which was not really something that was in our blood. Because I do know that my father did not take anything as a youngster, so I was told. (laughs) So for him to be, you know, now training us in the notion of nonviolence, okay, is what it was that we couldn't really get a grip on. Uh, But after we saw the violence, and the violence was there were two creosote bombs thrown in my house Mm. and one was thrown at our car one was thrown at our uh our snack bar her snack bar and um once we saw that then we under we, we was get we was developing an understanding what was going on and before I was able to vote I got an understanding because 
1964, they had what we call Freedom Summer. And that was the year that the individuals disappeared in Mississippi, the three civil rights workers that was registering people to vote. Mm-hmm. Had disappeared and were killed. Well, we had three civil rights workers and uh, voter, reg- voter registration people to come to Oakwell. And they registered almost every African-American in the city. Wow. And I helped. And I couldn't register. I helped. I did. They had me passing out flyers. They had me going door to door, giving information. But, I, you know, that's when I started developing an understanding of what was really, what we were really doing. And it was also fun. So, you know, it was fun to us. I mean, and uh, when uh, we would go to city in and and the people would make us get out of the restaurant because they said you can't sit in here. That was fun for us. Now, I never got arrested, but my brother, my brothers did. Hmm. And uh, they just put me in a car and carried me home. And didn't even take me all the way home. They dropped me off up at the beginning of the street. They didn't even turn on the street. They dropped me off and told me to go home. But that was to us, you know, it was fun. But there was an understanding that there was something going on. And once we got into, you know, later years in the school and we started discussing things, there were some white people that reached out. All of them were not cold. All of them were not, uh, uh, you know, didn't want to communicate. Some of them did. (laughs) And as a result, we learned. We learned. And we learned each year. uh, The Civil Rights Act and... um, uh, actually, the march started with the March on Washington in 63, and the Civil Rights Act in 64, the Voting Rights Act in 65. We learned all of that, right up until 68 when Dr. King was assassinated. And it was a, a downer, right? Because mm-hmm. that when my dad's church is right across the street from the snack bar. And at that point in 68, I was old enough to be working in the snack bar. So I was in the snack bar and my dad's study is in the church, right? And I can remember that real clear when he came out of the study, right? Because the snack bar usually closed mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock. He came out and he told us that Dr. King was dead. Mm-hmm. And he closed the snack bar up right there. He said, hey, come on out. We done for the night. And we came home, and when I got home, he was putting together, he was putting together his clothes for getting his suitcase together. My mother was helping him pack up, and within two or three hours, he was gone. He had gone, he had gone, actually, he went to Atlanta, because, uh, but Dr. King was killing Memphis. He did not go to Memphis, he went to Atlanta because what they call was an emergency meeting of the executive board, which he was a part of. And uh, I don't think I heard from him again until for, it was three or four days mm. before I, we, we heard from him again. And um, that was pretty much how, it, it, it was really, a, it was a downer. And a lot of my friends was 
was in the in the mix of doing stuff like they were doing in Washington D.C. like tearing up stuff. And I said, well, no, I said I'm not gonna get involved with that. That's not gonna be something that I'm gonna get involved with. Mm-hmm. There was not any massive type of stuff that like that was done in the larger cities, but there were some skirmishes. Mm-hmm. There were some skirmishes. I mean, you know, it was a situation where, you know. The, 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 the white community could say much to us without some interactions. But like I said, it was not that major. And uh, when uh, my dad did get back in town, uh, I can remember him, uh, uh, his sermon covering everything that had gone on and what, what it was that we were going to uh, attempt to do in Dr. King's absence. And uh, Reverend uh, Ralph David Abernathy took over the organization, um, and uh, we tried to move forward. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. And and just to uh, you know, as as children, we didn't um, we didn't really know. You know, we, we we knew about like uh, the picket signs and all of that because I think I told you, uh, Masha, the story about me <laughs> um, trying to uh, picket our cafeteria when they took the chocolate chocolate nook out of our school. Yes. So so that was from seeing. Um, the picket signs and seeing um, the things that my other, I had other relatives who were involved in, um, you know, a lot of these, um, uh, what do you call it? They weren't, they weren't really boycotts. Well, yes, they were. So, you know, I guess I learned that from, from him. (laughs) But as a child, I don't remember that he was so involved in that. What I do remember is, and I hope that uh, Michael will will talk to us a little bit about that as well, is that um, I, I, I interviewed him when uh, um, Obama became president, or, or when, and maybe it was when he was elected. I can't remember which one, but anyway. Um, and then when he was in office, Michael, I believe it was um, then. Was he was he Senator Warner at the time? Um, if you can tell us the story about him inviting your dad and and that experience that you had taking him there. That was it was. Uh, uh, Mark Warner was a senator, mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Mark Warner. Uh, he, he at one point was, was governor. He was governor first. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad got involved with uh, Mark Warner as governor. And it, it was him and uh, Tim Kaine. Yes, yes. Tim Kaine was, uh, as a matter of fact, Tim Kaine was the the uh, mayor of Richmond, mm-hmm. and he was involved with them in their local elections and their senatorial elections because uh, Dr. Harris was the head of the 
fourth congressional district voters league. Right? Oh, okay. And it was a a league that encompassed a lot of churches. Okay. And it was also uh, a part of the SCLC's state um, organization, which Dr. Harris was the president of. Okay. And that's the Sud- Southern Christian Southern Leadership, Christian Leadership Conference, Conference. Mm-hmm. State Unit, mm-hmm. right? And in the state unit, Dr. Harris has 13 different chapters. I'll call you back, Lee. I'm sorry. I couldn't, couldn't stop my cell phone. That's okay. What what it was, he has was 13 different, um, yeah, 13 different chapters in Virginia. And with those 13 different chapters, right, he organized the voters throughout Virginia to help both of these guys become senators, governors, and whatever it was. And they knew the significance and they reciprocated by including him in whatever it was that they did. Mm-hmm. And Tim Kaine spoke at my father's retirement uh, and Mark Warner invited my dad up to uh, President Obama's hated uh, ass. He vote, he, he, um, he, um, he he invited him up to Obama's last um, uh, state of the uh, state of the union message, and uh, I accompanied him, my son Michael Harris II, and my nephew Kenneth Harris uh, Jr. We accompanied them up to Washington. And we went to Senator Warner's office and we thought that we was going to sit up in there and listen to. And we were told we had to wait in Senator Warner's office. Yeah, because they only give one ticket. They had only one ticket. (laughs) They had only one ticket and we had to wait. So what we did was we waited Hmm. and we looked at it on TV and after the after the message was given, we we, we, we came back and, we, and they left some of his um, his aides with us while they were there. When, when, the, uh, when the senator got back, we sit around and did some picture sessions and took pictures and talked. And, and then we went on home. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought that I was going to be sitting up there in the... Uh, I, well, I was... Anyway, I could have told I, you I, not. I was mad. <laughs> I could have I told you you weren't. <laughs> I know. Ain't nobody tell me. I was mad. <laughs> so, well, you've got to do, you have done a lot of interest, interesting things, um, you know, with your dad. So, um, and I, I appreciate you sharing those stories um, with us, right, Masha? Oh, my goodness. I am just so humbled and so grateful that you were willing to share with us today and allow us to hear this i'm wondering um i'm wondering 
Michael, how this has influenced you today, you know, and what you would invite our listeners to take into consideration for to maintain a forward momentum. You know, your father was in the front lines. This is deeply personal. You know, how do we how do we honor the work that he's done by continuing this work? What what encouragement or what would you say in that regard? Well, this is what I myself I was interviewed by a newspaper on uh, the day that um, we had my dad's funeral. Uh, no, not, yeah, the only day we had the funeral, and they asked me a question about uh, his impact, and I said I had only one regret, and that regret was that I didn't listen to him more as I was coming up. Mm-hmm. Because when I started to get real involved with the uh, union activities that I was involved with, uh, I found myself in conference with him in regards to making decisions that infected over 25 or 30,000 people that I was involved with. And it goes all the way back to the year I was born and my dad's history was, he was a contract representative for the United Mine Workers of Virginia, for individuals that worked at the Allied Chemical and Dye Company in Oakwell. And that was in 1950. So, gathering all of that information and his wisdom, it helped me a great deal in my organizing, especially with the Civil Rights Division of the International Union or the Communication Workers of America. And as a result, they awarded me their most prestigious award at the the Communication Workers, which was the Civil Rights Award that was given to somebody at their annual convention. And when they uh, had the convention in Washington, D.C., I was the local president, so I was the honorary chair of the entire convention. And we hosted individuals like Hillary Clinton and, and uh, uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden. We had, uh, um, we had individuals there that was influential. And the individuals all knew my father. And that is inspiration for you. And uh, so when I get back to Hopewell, okay, and I see the aura, right? And we getting ready to name the post post office building. We get ready to put his name up on the post office Mm -hmm. building, right? And, and, and it was done as a result of legislation in the National Congress put in by Congressman Donald McKeachin that was passed and signed into law. And we are going to be doing that um, this year. We're putting his name up on the post office. Those type things is the things that sort of still inspire me 
right, to want to be involved with what's going on in the city. Because mm-hmm. I'm here. And then keep the, the momentum going. And so when when asked, right, I'm saying if I'm, you know, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to do what I can. Uh, my name, and I have had to say to many people, I said, my name is Michael Harris, not 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 Curtis Harris, okay? <laughs> and I don't have that kind of charisma and clout that I know that he his presence brought about, but I, and, I don't, and I'm not trying to have that, but what it is that I am trying to do is I am trying to do what he would do, mm-hmm. and that's contribute, okay? So that's what it is that I'm trying to do. And as a matter of fact, the Martin Luther King Foundation, at this particular point, is having a fundraiser because we have a statue of Dr. Martin Luther King in our plaza downtown. And we are raising money now to put a statue of Dr. Harris in the same plaza. So that's what it is that we, you know, that, that is my inspiration in regards to what it is that I am attempting to do. Um, and the reasons why I'm attempting to do it, because like I say, I am still, you know, I am still inspired by the activities that has been done in his name and in regards to his, 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 what he thought was going to be a future for people in this city that individuals still remember him for that and they still stand up to that and I you know so I don't know uh, right now any other way to do it yeah well we certainly are grateful for all that he has done um, not just because he's a family member but because he uh, he made so many things possible for um, people of color in this area and and for other people as well. And so we are just grateful for everything that he has done. And um, I really I really enjoyed listening to some of these stories because some of them, you know, he's told me a lot, but. Some of them I had not heard before, and um, and and just so grateful to you for sharing that with us. Yes, I too am extremely grateful for the work that your father did for for not just Hopewell, but for the state and beyond. And um, I appreciate the work that you also do, Vivian and Michael. Thank you both for the work that you do. And uh, thank you for being with us on Operation Flow today and allowing us to have the privilege of listening and learning through this information that you've shared with us today. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having me, Marsha. I, 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 I really have been, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a, a, an inspirational talk when you, you know, sit down and talk about about things that uh, uh, that is going going down, and some of the things, right? And there are so many things, as you as you know, that was there were so many different uh, areas that uh, my father got into, 
And uh, one of the ones that we didn't talk about was that uh, he was a true family man. Oh, he was a true family man. And he included his family in everything. All of his family. As a matter of fact, Levine can tell you that her mother and her aunt and her aunts and everybody was a real close to him. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, at least two of them was, uh, uh, worked in the snack bar. Mm-hmm. So all of them, they could all cook. They was, they was, they could cook. And he had he had truck drivers lined up all up and down Route 10 when we had them Pierce ladies in there cooking. <laughs> so that was something that he was that, that was precious to him. Yeah, especially under that. <laughs> Well, you know, I so appreciate that you said that because I think oftentimes, too, it's hard for people to balance uh, their family and their family needs with community needs, right? And so that he was able to accomplish that is more modeling of, you know, that there is a way to do that. You know, we don't have to sacrifice our family to be involved in our community and bring about change that's necessary. And um, I think that's important for for everybody to hear. Yeah. It is. And, and, you know, just to close out, in regards to, you know, what it is, like I say, in regards to what it was that he was doing, looking at what it was that he did, he was ordained as the minister back in 1959 at Union Baptist Church, okay? After he was ordained, he took his first church, which was in Chesterfield, Virginia. Shortly thereafter, he took over the church that was uh, where he got ordained in Union Baptist, okay? And shortly thereafter, he took over a church in Southampton County, which is about an hour's ride away from here, right? And he pastored all three of the churches at the same time Oh, wow. And he was also dealing with the NAACP, which he initially was a, the president of. Mm-hmm. And he eventually got involved with Dr. King and the SCLC in 1959. He got on their board in 61. So all of these things, right, was stuff that he did, right? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't. And he didn't even know how to operate a typewriter. <laughs> he did. But he had, but he had Ruth Harris. <laughs> yes, he did. That was, that was, and you, and you want to know, and individuals ask me, how was it growing up, right? I said, well, our lives growing up was normal because he had a powerful woman backing him up. Yeah. And that's what she was. She was, and you know, not, not because she was my mother, she was, and I loved her dearly, but she was the queen of organization. Yes, she was. And she ran this house and the church house, and she kept things in order for us, so it was no thing that we would ever lack abnormal or we would, would go without anything. Yeah. So that's something, you know, to me, that's an inspiration for me. Uh, and it keeps me going. And right now, I'm living right in the spirit of all these individuals because it's not, it's not no, by no luck that I ended up back in Hopewell 
after 37 years of being away, doing something else, I'm right now sleeping in the same bedroom that I grew up in. Yeah, wow. and they and he would say that it was ordained. <laughs> That's what your dad would say. Yeah. So, so. That, you know, and I just, you know, I just want. I just wanted to say that that's that's something that's close to my heart. Well, and I just want to reiterate too. Um, I appreciate Michael that you are making it a point to honor Dr. Ruth Harris as well. You know, and you know we do want to go back to saying that they Hopewell obviously saw the work that she did as well. They named a street after her too, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, absolutely. And especially since black women are often overlooked and undermined and marginalized, um, I value and appreciate, Michael, that you took the time to make sure that we remembered the hard work that she did beside your dad. And, um, and we thank Hopewell for naming a street after her. Yes. Are there any other um, comments or wrapping up thoughts? And Michael, it sounds like you have many, many stories that you could share. And if even after we end this conversation today, if you think about things that you wish you would have shared, please get back in touch. We can do a part two. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Masha. Absolutely. Again, for having us. And I will see you next time you rather at the next podcast absolutely thanks so much and, uh, yeah i want to thank you too marcia and you too cuz because you you are for you are forever in my life and oh. uh and uh, I, I do recall the only other thing that i would say in regards to my cousin is that when my wife passed away on uh may 1st in uh 2019 uh she was one of the first individuals in the family that i saw she turned up to the hospital, and I don't know how it would have done or made out without her being there. And I just thank her then, and I thank her again, and I, you know, Charles, uh, she just she's a doll. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I loved her too. And that was it. That's it for me, ladies. All right.